Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. I'm Emma Whitton and this week we're going to be chatting about the dairy sector here in the Highlands. This sector has changed significantly over the last decade and is somewhat difficult to picture what the future might look like. To help us imagine a future of fine milk and dairy products, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick McKenzie from Rootfield Farm, a fourth generation dairy farm on the Black Isle, and Sam Harrison from the Sheeling Project in Glenstrathwire. Both, in different ways, are working hard to help dairy be a part of our sustainable local food system. First, let's chat with Nick and find out what the challenges and opportunities are for a modern day dairy farmer. So Nick, to start off, could you give me a wee bit of background to the dairy sector in the Highlands and how that's evolved over the last few decades? Yeah, so we're probably one of the last remaining dairy farms in the Highlands. Whereas there was, I don't know, going back 25, 30 years, yeah, there'd be 120 producers. There used to be a North of Scotland cooperative, so they supplied milk into Nern. But that just dwindled probably 10 years ago, really dropped off. Just dairy wasn't economic. So the dairy farms disappeared from the area completely, really. So we made a decision yeah, eight or nine years ago because we were kind of in limbo. Because the other dairy farms had left the area, it meant we were on the edge of the milk field, really. And to look to invest in the farm, put more cows on and everything, made us very vulnerable. We were still supplying milk at that point into Nern to Graham's dairies. But there was always a chance they could turn around and say, well, we'll take your milk, but we're going to take it down to Stirling and we're going to charge you two pence a litre haulage, which would just kill our business overnight. So we took the decision in 2013, we started making ice cream, just to diversify a little bit. Uh, Highland Fine Cheese, which was making cheese up in Tain, I'd been in talks with them for probably two or three years to possibly supply them, but at that point we had too much milk, so we reduced our cow numbers and supplied them directly. And so we got out of the those main milk field, because at that point A and B pricing was coming on and the price could go from... 17, 18 pence a litre to 30-odd pence a litre, and we had no control over that at all. There was no way to plan, effectively, and it just didn't look, in terms of planning the farm or investing in it, it just didn't give us any confidence. So we started supplying Highland Farm cheese, started producing ice cream, just to diversify and give ourselves a little bit more control of our milk price and a bit more contact with the consumer. Three years ago, we did invest in the farm. We put two robots in, so the cows are now milked 24 hours a day which we think certainly helps them, they're more relaxed and helps in terms of labour for us. We've changed the breed of cows. Historically, we were a Holstein Friesian herd, so it was high input, high output, because milk volume was what drove the business. But the cheese constituents are much more important, so it's the level of fat and protein especially. So we've got some Ayrshire cows in, and which suits the ice cream and suits the cheese. And, uh, and then in the last couple of years, we've started pasteurising our own milk and making yogurt and we put in a milk vending machine about a year ago I think and that's done well actually in an honesty shop on the farm. So obviously you've decided to kind of take the power back and be a bit more in charge of your security of your of yes. your farm. How has your farm evolved over the last five years and I guess maybe talking a little bit more about automation with the robots with the cattle people might find that quite interesting to hear mm-hmm. about how that works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we put the robots in three years ago, and that has changed the farm a lot. It's certainly helped with labour, but it's also meant that the cows will now get milked on average three times a day, and they have access to the robots 24 hours a day, which means they're either really eating 
lying down or being milked by the robots and we're not pushing them around so they tend to be much more relaxed and the idea is that cows will last longer so they're effectively choosing when they want to be milked yeah absolutely and yeah you've shown me around before in the past and you do feel the energy is quite relaxed absolutely no yeah, yeah they go into the robots of their own volition yeah. to be honest they do say that the cows will take to the robots a lot quicker than the farmers will and now we get young cows coming in and really only a few days training. Most of them will pick it up. They get some food when they go in there. And then we've got cameras in the shed. So we have access to see what's happening all the time. And any problems with the robots, the robot will phone me. So, yeah, we're certainly happy with it. I'm much more relaxed and the cows are more relaxed. And it's um, it just means there's someone milking the cows 365 days a year. They don't need a holiday. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> that all sounds good. You started off with your ice cream, yes, and then you you branched out to your honesty shed, which is obviously becoming increasingly popular. But it'd be great to find out a little bit more about the milk vending machine and what your motivations were behind that. Because I can remember a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation about the consumer pressure to not have plastic mm-hmm. as well. So it'd be good to hear a bit more about the vending machine. So I've been looking at a vending machine for some time. My biggest issue here was just our location, and if we put in a vending machine, would anyone actually come to the farm to buy milk? So we started just pasteurising a small amount of milk and putting them in plastic bottles, putting them in a fridge alongside the ice cream in the Honesty Shed. And that seemed to go fairly well, but it was always a... Really, we want to sort of stop plastic altogether if we can, so it was always a sort of thought that we would go to a vending machine as soon as we could. So when we did change over and went to vending machine and then glass bottles, it did make a huge difference, actually. And there was certainly a lot of customers that liked the milk before, but were drinking lots of it. And so you could be using five or six single-use bottles a week. And it just, it's a bit daft. So it was the way we were wanting to go. And it's driven business to the Honesty Shed. Yeah, that's been a real improvement. So pre-COVID, we were trying to just get rid of any plastic bottles. We delivered to a few shops, but not many. So we were trying to sort of drop that. But um, that's been delayed because of COVID that we had to get milk or we wanted to get milk out there just because Highland Fine Cheese, who's our main buyer, their production suddenly dropped away by about 40%. So it was very much a case of selling it where we could or using it wherever we could rather than dumping it. It's got back to normal now. So yeah, we're sort of looking at other options, possibly smaller or tabletop vending machines to maybe put in a couple of the shops that we supply which would then mean we don't have to yeah. use plastic at all. That's a really good idea. I know that I would do some of my shopping at Tor Farm Shop, but then I wouldn't buy my milk there because you're buying it in the plastic bottle, so then you yeah. have to come here to go to the vending machine. So having those micro vending machines can see how that would yeah. that would work. And there's definitely massive consumer shift in terms of plastic awareness, isn't there? Yeah, so absolutely. I, can, I can see where you're going with that. It adds to the product because when consumers are choosing what they want to buy, they're looking for the quality ingredient, but they're also conscious about their plastic and their environmental footprint because of the packaging. Yeah. And often you find yourself torn between trying to make a good decision out of two not-so-good choices. So. Well, it's just how it's workable because yeah. we wanted to do it with glass bottles before, but we were never in a position where we could sell glass bottles through the shop or anywhere else because we don't have the washing facilities. We don't have the infrastructure to deal with people taking bottles back. So that's where the vending machine worked really well. And we're looking at it now, maybe our yogurt is in plastic pots, but I think we maybe we might go to glass with that. And we probably would be able to do a return scheme with them. And so we're sort of looking at that just now. So you were mentioning a little bit about how things have changed during COVID-19 and the shock that we've all had to experience in 2020. So 
if you could just elaborate on that and describe how consumer habits have evolved over the last six months. Yeah, COVID has been very interesting for us, <laughs> as it has for everyone. I suppose the biggest shock to us, I had someone in just at the start of lockdown and had been to the supermarket and there was no milk. There was no milk in the local shops. So I put a post up saying, look, we've got plenty of milk, it's not a problem. And we just had queues of traffic for probably the next week or so because we had plenty of milk and it wasn't an issue. So to be honest, we weren't really prepared for that with our little honesty shed. <laughs> um, but it was great because our main milk buyer was struggling to use up our milk. So the more we could sell direct or use it, it meant we less we had to dump down the drain. So we were extremely busy at the start when things were locked down. And we were keen, I suppose we were keen to, you know, support our local customers. And because we, we had milk, we had eggs already and cheese. So we started doing bread in the Honesty Shed as well. Just so I suppose you could get your staples without having to see anyone. And we put a one-way system in place pretty quickly. So it was very busy. It was just, um, it was a sort of strange time. But it's definitely, it has died back as people have started going back to work and go back to their normal habits. We're still busier than we were pre-COVID. It's made me think more about how we can develop on-farm sales. Because the Honesty Shed has grown from a little side bit, plus my office, to suddenly especially during lockdown, it wasn't big enough to stock things. So we want to develop that. So we're looking at maybe a bit more vending machines and not making it huge, but just making sure we have enough stock and it's open and airy for people to walk in safely, buy their local staples and just be a more attractive option. And it gives it obviously gives us a link to the consumer as well, which we have enjoyed beforehand as a dairy farmer. Probably 10 years ago, there was no link with the consumer at all and, and that we would produce milk, it would be picked up every day by the tanker and that was it. Whereas even having the honesty shed, we were getting you know, a lot of people on the farm and interest in the cows and the calves and questions. And I think we have to provide that link, otherwise people forget where it's coming from or don't have that link with their local supply. I think that's a really positive thing, isn't it? How easy have you found it partnering up with other local suppliers? Because you've got a nice wee selection up there now in the honesty shed. Well, we've tried to keep it as simple as possible. So most of our stuff is either made here or it's our neighbour who produces pork. Right. Or the cheese is all from Highland Fine Cheese, which is effectively where our milk's going to be made into cheese and we take it back in the tanker. So our issue is uh, unfortunately theft, making sure because the Honesty Shed is not manned, that kind of precludes us from putting too many products in the Honesty Shed. But we're sort of working on that just now. And I guess your vending machine is a solution to that, as you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. yeah, so that's the next plan, or should be the end of November, we should get another chilled vending machine, which would allow us to put more products in. You know, when you were saying earlier about um, you were welcoming the extra sales of milk because it saved you having to dump too much. Do you yeah. find over the course of a week that you're actually having to dump much milk? No, not now. There was just a spell at the start when there was lockdown that Highland Fine Cheese... A lot of their business disappeared overnight. So as much as they could stockpile some into cheddar, they couldn't take it all. So there was there was too much milk. So at that point, we went to Williamson's local wholesaler. They were very helpful. We're still supplying them with milk. So that really helped us. And then we were supplying to a few of the local hubs, like the storehouse or Corner in the Square or Loch Ness. And they were providing hampers and delivering. So that was a real help for us. So there was a few days where we had to dump some milk. but That's not a common thing for you. It's now obviously changed. I would find cheese, the milk demand is there. Plus, yeah. going into Christmas, this is their busy period. Yeah, for sure. So the model here has changed 
quite a lot if you think back to a decade ago oh, to where you are now totally changed and maybe this is a really obvious question but do you feel much more secure now as a business we've got more control over it i think oh no we definitely do we definitely have more control over the business and we, we did have a fair amount of thought of it even 10 years ago when the other dairies were going out thinking well what do we do you know the land's good here we could grow crops or do more beef but there's nothing to say we'll do it any better than anyone well, probably won't do it any better than anyone else and there's plenty of people doing that so we kind of thought well i think we stay in dairy at least it's a point of difference up here because there's no no other real small dairy farms that are doing their own products so we have more control of what we're doing i don't think we'd have carried on if we were just supplying into the main milk market and supplying grahams or whoever else because the milk price wasn't there and it I wouldn't have the confidence to invest. We'd be in the situation where the Aberdeen producers are in now, where they're having to pack up because otherwise they'd pay a haulage fee down to the central belt. That's what I thought would happen up here. So we've got control over what we're doing to a certain extent, supplying a local cheesemaker and producing our own products. And it worked better, you know, even before when we were producing milk, you're tied into a contract and you supply all your milk to that buyer. So there's no way we wouldn't be allowed to just do a bit of ice cream on the side or sell our own milk or vending machine. You can't have a mixture of both. No, not really. It might be changing in some, but most of them, no. Looking forward, what is it that you worry about the most? I suppose our biggest worry at the moment, Brexit is a real issue in terms of farm payments. I certainly don't want to be subsidised by no... The cost of milk is not realistic in supermarkets. You know, it's cheaper than water and, um, and food has become cheap. So you're not getting the real cost of it. So effectively, any subsidies we're getting is to balance the food being cheap. And I can see that disappearing or, I don't know, that just worries me. It certainly is a really worrying time. And I guess the optimist in me just thinks, well, maybe there's an opportunity in there for us to start to do things a little bit better. Yeah, I suppose even lockdown made me think, well, the only way I think we'll survive as a very small dairy farm is if we've got a model of supplying our local cheesemaker and then producing as much as we can from the rest of the milk to our local market, providing a high-quality product. And there's a lot to be said for that consumer relationship, as you've touched on already, is that when a consumer knows where their products come from, and there's a loyalty there, isn't there, to a local producer, and I guess just building on that rapport and building on that relationship brings an element of security within it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd hope so, yeah. If lockdown's taught us nothing else, it's, you know... You saw how quick supply chains were to really struggle up creek. So there's definitely opportunity there. So, it's, But it, at least it's in our hands. If we don't do it, then it's down to us rather than outside factors completely. But I guess a positive to take is you've been making a lot of good decisions over the last few years, so you just need to keep building on that. I hope so. Thank you, Nick, and good luck with your Black Hill Dairy business. I really do hope you continue to have growing success and manage to get that life-work balance that you aspire to. Now let's welcome Sam and find out about his microdairy and how this fits into the Sheelan project. So welcome to Sam Harrison at the Sheelan project. So Sam, it would be great if you could just start off by telling us a little bit of background about your dairy and how long it's been going and where you're at with that. Yeah, so I started the Sheelan project seven years ago. And so the project itself is about trying to understand how people went to the Sheelan and did the milking and the cheese making up in the hill but also like trying to understand where that fits into modern day dairying, I guess. So, so always we had this plan to start the dairy, but obviously that's easier said than done. And so five years ago, we got our site and we got Shetland cattle almost immediately. But these are Shetland cattle that hadn't been milked before. 
most Shetland cattle now are kind of used as beef cows, but they are a dual purpose cow. So people are still milking them, but just not as many. So a lot of these cows just aren't used to being milked. So we had a whole process of just getting used to the cows and the cows getting used to us and being more handled. So we spent a couple of years literally just bringing them in and feeding them in the, in the milking area that we built and taking them back out again, doing a bit more handling, um, handling the udder, um, doing a bit of sort of test milking. And then one year, just one of them, we just hand milked. So that's like three years of just training the cows just yeah. to be like, okay, I'm happy. I feel like I'm a dairy cow now. I, I'm happy to be handled and come in and out each day and know that that's part of my routine, and which is a big bit mm-hmm. of work just even before you've really started. And then there was, so there was the cows, obviously the cow side of it. And then there was the building. So the bit that we turned into the sort of dairy and milk processing kind of place was completely fallen down. It was on the ground, the roof was down. So the project, we want to get everyone involved in building everything from scratch. So we didn't just <laughs> just get someone in to knock up a new building. So we rebuilt the building. So we got a stonemason in, got a lime render in to lime the walls. And we got a group of Duke of Edinburgh gold participants to rebuild the, the, the roof with timber we milled on site. So we did everything probably as, as slowly as we possibly could, but getting as much learning out of it all as we could. And just finally, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, we got the biomass boiler system connected. So now we can have properly renewable hot water supply into the dairy so the building's getting close to being finished now. And then, yeah, so for a couple of years now, we've had the cows calving, and then we've been working at separating the calves off for a part of the day so the cow can store up a bit of milk in the udder. And that's kind of how they used to do it in the old crofting times. So a modern dairy would just take the calf away from the cow after about six days, and then it wouldn't see it again, which is really stressful for the cow, I think, and for the calf. And um, yeah, you might get a massive yield of milk, but you're not having a system which has got happy animals in it, really. So we're not doing that. We're trying to do it in the old crofting way. And, and other farms are now starting to get into that as well. So um, so yeah, so we isolate the calf off for some of the day, and then we're halter training the calf so we can get it by the halter on a, on a wee sort of rope and then lead it into the, the little dairy area, the milking area, and the cows will follow. And then we're doing our milking just once a day. And then we've got into the sort of looking at processes of pasteurization and getting looking at cheese making, making crowdy, making hard cheese. So we're still kind of in the learning and investigating phase. Like I wouldn't say we've kind of got it all sorted, but we're kind of pretty close to getting it all sorted, I think. It sounds like you've got a really good foundation there, though, to build on. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we've learned an awful lot. I, I grew up working on a dairy farm. Um, so I knew the sort of commercial system and, the, you know, the Holstein Friesian cows and how that worked and separating the calves off. And so I had a fair amount of confidence around that. But when you're a kid and you're working on a farm, you just sort of do what you're told. <laughs> you don't really know why you're doing these things. Um, and then when you're an adult, you know, we started into this whole process. You know, there's a lot of things that I'd just taken for granted, I guess, that I wanted to rethink, like about, what, you know, what breed of cow we wanted. You know, we didn't want a massive Holstein Friesian here because... Well, it wouldn't survive. <laughs> so, you know, we wanted a cow that could be thrifty and function off not high input of food or silage. Um, so we ended up with the Shetland cow, which is a really fantastic cow. You know, it still has that dual purpose milking and, and beef quality. It's really calm and, and handleable and small, and which is just fantastic. And if you think about it, I guess most breeds of cows were probably like that. You know, the Highlander was, was being milked by everybody, but it's no longer the case. So we, we wanted to find a breed that had that, which was which the Shetland was great for that. So we laid the groundwork there and, and the Shetlands are great because there's a whole group of people that are keeping them and getting excited about them. And that gives you the support and people to learn from. Yeah. 
in terms of the infrastructure, you know, we're, we're still finishing that off, but we've found some nice small scale tools from unsurprisingly from Europe. So we've got like an Italian milking machine, which is just a two cluster milking machine. Um, we've got an Austrian little pasteurizer that does 14 liters at a time. And that was interesting in itself, just trying to find equipment that was the right scale. Because as I say, commercial dairying is now just so massive to survive that, you know, you can't get equipment that's small. One of the things I'd really like to do is, as I say, just sort of finish off the building side of things and really get the kids more involved and see what they want to make. I suspect what they want to make is ice cream. So uh, one of the things we need to find is, is a cream separator and start looking to ice cream because I think that's going to be a real draw for kids. It's really great as well because I think with the micro dairy we've got a walking, talking example and experience for kids to think about dairying and to understand some of the issues around it. You know, Because I think more kids come with knowledge of issues around milk they're like oh you know have you got oat milk and of course we have got oat milk but why have we got oat milk and why should you have oat milk or other types of vegetable milks so I think kids are starting to get a sense that there is an issue around milk and dairying and some of them you know the older ones or the ones who may be a bit um, more informed for whatever reason you know they're like oh you know dairying's bad and and it's like oh yeah that's great that's a really great place to start from and but what we're trying to do at the Sheeling Project is not just have a discussion that hasn't got any experiences from which to develop opinions. So the, the core of it is the kids helping us with the cattle, bringing them into milk or brushing them or feeding them or handling them and having that direct experience from which then they can start making an opinion or changing an opinion or reinforcing an opinion. But I think it's really, really important for the, the people that come here to actually not just talk about a bunch of ideas, but actually have some experiences to then pin them to. So that's a really good um, starting point for discussions about, okay, so we share our milk with our calves, you know, obviously we get less milk, is that all right? You know, how do the calves feel? You know, we pasteurize our milk, and so there's a question about what's raw milk, and do people have access to raw milk, and should they? And sort of stuff about the gut, and healthiness of the gut, and, and even, there's all sorts of avenues for learning, but even just thinking about what rennet is, and the fact that it comes from a calf's gut, and that's what the calf is doing, it's basically making cheese in its stomach. And that's why we use rennet to make cheese. You know, so there's so many avenues for learning and for the kids to really think about it. Children who come here, they're trying to sort of process and ask questions. And that's what's great about having the dairy set up and the cattle here to interact with is that it's only when they see them and get involved that these questions come to their heads. You know, and I think that's the value of proper hands-on, getting stuff done, practical experiences. They sort of prompt a whole bunch of new questions. Absolutely. And the experience of seeing dairy done differently, that there is actually another possibility there. Do you think that then impacts the view that young people do have on the dairy sector? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think what what, what our aim is, like, we'd love it if everybody who came to the Sheeling wanted to go off and get involved in food or farming or crofting. But, you know, realistically, that's not going to be the case. But, you know, some of them are. But hopefully, if everybody goes away with an appreciation and a, you know, a strong feeling about where their food comes from, you know, and have developed some opinions on what they want and how they want it. But yeah, so I I think seeing that there's an alternative, I think is really important. And the fact that actually other commercial sized dairies are also doing this whole process where they're not separating the calf and they're doing a sort of mixed beef and dairy sort of setup, you know, it, it is commercially viable and dairies are moving into that. And I think for people to make choices to, you know, for a lot of people, it's just going to be, do I buy that milk and do I buy that cheese? If they've got an experience where they come to the shooting project and they know why they might choose to buy that milk or that cheese, which is probably going to cost a few pennies more, 
then that's great because part of our power and part of everybody's power is as a consumer making choices. And if people know and have had an experience on which to make their choice, then that's going to encourage the large-scale dairy industry to maybe change. So Sam, it'd be great if you could just develop that a little bit further and explain how your micro-dairy fits into the wider model that you've got here at the Shilling Project. Yeah, so I guess there's sort of two aspects to having the dairy here. One of them is that um, the past is not here so it's pretty hard to get a grip on so one of the ways that we try and help the, our visitors understand what the shielding was is to give them a bunch of practical experiences that kind of bring that past alive so we get them building with turf or making a basket or walking up to the old shielding or handling the cows so the dairy is there as a sort of really practical experience on which people can hang that understanding of what people did in the past the fact that they took their dairy cows up into the hill that they were milking up there in the hills that they were making butter particularly butter um, and you know this is the churn they used it in and this is the barrel they stored it in and this is what they paid their rent with so the dairy is a really great way of bringing that past to life so that's one of the things that we have it here for but then secondly what we're trying to do is from that past look to the future and try and think about what an ecological or regenerative approach to farming might be in this landscape so the, the dairy then is something like okay well how are we going to grow food in this place and what food systems work in this place and obviously we've got this great story of the shieling where you know, the cattle were really good for the hills. When the shielding system was in was on the go, the biodiversity was higher than it is in most places in the highlands now. And that's because of the way that the cows grazed and because they were only put up onto the hill for, you know, a short number of months and they pooed a lot and they poached the ground up with their big hooves and they ate non-selectively with their big tongues. So we can start on that with the dairy here and that story of the shielding. Then we can start on a question about what is an appropriate local food system for here. So then we can, from that discussion about the past, we can sort of launch into the future. It's like, okay, so if the cow is part of this highland sustainable future and landscape management, like how are we going to use those cows? Are they going to go up on the hill? And are we going to do a mixed dairy or are we just going to do beef? But dairying is great because we produce a really great product in terms of cheese, or, um, but also we produce lots of other products. And what we're trying to get the kids to see is that cyclical use of everything and how it all fits together. So, for example, we produce a lot of whey in our cheese making, but the whey feeds the pigs. And then we've got a lot of vegetables we want to grow and crops we want to grow. And where are we going to get the manure from that? Well, if the cows were all out on the hill all the time or out in the fields all the time and never came in, then we wouldn't really have any manure. So the Shetland cow likes to come in for a couple of months in the harshest bit of winter. And so then that cow's part of that cycle of actually producing manure that we can then grow other food with. So there's that whole closed system whereby the diverse farming supports itself. And then another angle, I guess, is we do quite a lot of ecological surveys with the groups that come, the school groups, looking comparatively at different bits of the landscape and looking at what plants and animals are growing there. And we've definitely noticed that our grazing system and having cattle grazing here has increased the biodiversity. The, the sward um, is looking better. We've got a lot more wildflowers in there. Definitely got more bird life. The birds love poking around in the poo. Like our yellow hammers, like I've gone through the roof, we've got hundreds of yellow hammers here. So, you know, we're looking not just at producing cheese, but producing the, that wider ecosystem value and improvement and well-being. So this sort of traditional model that you've got going on here is fantastic to see. And I had a really lovely walk around the croft this morning and it was beautiful to see the cows interacting with each other. And there was a lot of love there and you just got a vision of that they were happy and this is how life should be. And maybe a little glimpse into the past to how life used to be. Yeah. Do you think this concept of a micro dairy within this sort of crofting system 
is is realistically replicable across the Highlands in the 21st century? Definitely, yeah. I'd like to think that, obviously, the, the kind of scale and size that we're doing it at is for education. We're not doing it as a commercial exercise, but I definitely think that it has value and should be something that is across the Highlands. You know, And we've got a great example in the Alps where small farmers still go and make use of the uplands they cooperatively pool their milk, they make their cheese products. And that is a system that we can learn from and a system where the technology is an appropriate style and scale and we can, you know, reanimate ours. Um, so I, I definitely think that that's where we need to go in terms of um, looking at what kind of livestock we've got, how we're using them, in which kind of context can we move potentially hill grazing cattle that are, that are dual purpose and have an autumn calving and then milk them while they're down in the sheds through the winter and then put them back on the hill because milking on the hill is probably not going to be that easy to do but if you're not having a spring calving like they did at the shillings but you're having an autumn calving then potentially you can be milking your cows through the winter when you've got them down in the glen and then you can be putting the cows on the hill in the summer with the older calves and you're getting the still the regenerative quality of the grazing and, the, and that exposure that the hill needs to the cows. So yeah, I'd really love to see it on a commercial scale. And personally, that's what I would like to do once I've finished starting the shooting project and handing it on to someone else, then then that's where I'm going to go. So if you were to fast forward to 2030, what would your one wish be for a Highland food system? I would like to see us producing really good quality, affordable products that we can produce here. Meat, dairy, certain vegetables, honey, fruit. The things that we can do well in the Highlands, I'd love to see available everywhere, not just as sort of one place where I know I can get some shellfish there because you know I know I can actually buy it and it's not going to Spain, or I know I can get some great meat there. You know, that should be just a universal part of Highland life, that access to local food. That's what I'd like to see. That sounds like a good vision. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So the idea of small micro farms whether we're speaking back to what we've been talking about what other local folk are doing in terms of their sheep or what Cole's trying to do with his bread Mm -hmm. this idea of micro bakeries micro dairies small farms all sort of working together to be the jigsaw pieces of a successful local food system I think the dairy's got to be a part of that jigsaw yeah yeah and I think it definitely was. I mean, I grew up in Suffolk and I know people, older folk now, who were growing up on dairy farms that had like 35 milking cows. And I, I worked on one that had 110 and that had to close down in 1998. You know, and now we're in the Highlands and within an hour's drive, there's a couple of herds that are more than a thousand milking cows. So what the supermarket has done is basically it's forced the milk buyer, who's the sort of intermediary between them and the farm, to really reduce the amount that it's paying per litre to the actual producer on the farm. So that's bounced back up the system and then farmers have had to either get bigger or go bust. Mm -hmm. And so if we can actually step out of that sort of commercial one-way street and actually be buying directly and not having to go to the supermarket or having it delivered to us, then we're out of that hole driving the prices down. And then potentially there's room for bringing back a small-scale system that actually we know we've got a small-scale herd, we know the quality of the milk is going to be fantastic, we know that the ethical position of that, you know, that they're going to be treated well. You know, most of these big dairy herds, once they stop being a heifer, the cows are just not outside. They're inside, they're auto-milked by a robot, and they just don't go back outside ever. And you can run those big dairies with hardly any people employed as well. So I think that whole question about employment and having a job that can pay on the farm, if we can make small-scale businesses pay, then we can employ more people. So I think returning to that small-scale micro-dairy type approach I think is really important, but potentially we've got to think a bit more creatively about it because 
not everyone can be an artisan producer. If everyone's an artisan producer, it's probably not artisan anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so I think there's going to be a step at which we have to sort of think, okay, you know, is it through cooperatives or how are we going to do this that the small scale producers aren't just producing high end stuff for a sort of high priced sort of market? How can we actually make this something that's part of everybody's life? I love your idea there about the solution being cooperatives, people actually all starting to work together. I, I agree, I think that is going to be at the heart of the solution. Thank you to both Nick and Sam. Although different approaches, both models definitely have a customer at the heart of the business. Being connected to our food in a way that we see where it comes from and how it is made is precious. Developing these connections and relationships is an imperative piece of the local sustainable food jigsaw. This brings knowledge and awareness and loyalty that is just priceless. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Nick and Sam's aspirations for the future. You have been listening to the Highland Good Food podcast. Remember to subscribe at highlandgoodfood.scot and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. See you next time.